Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. We are continuing our Who Done It theme with the film Death on the Nile from 1978, starring Peter Ustinov, Mia Farrow, Angela Lansbury, Betty Davis, Maggie Smith, and David Niven. And with me virtually is my good friend Hannah. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course, thanks for coming back for the or coming for the second whodunit film. <laughs> oh boy, I certainly did. So this movie follows the famous Agatha Christie sleuth Hercule Poirot as he solves a murder case on a riverboat along the Nile. After the wealthy heiress Lynette is murdered, Poirot finds out that she had more than one connection with the passengers on board. Soon others are found dead and Poirot realizes he must catch the murderer before he strikes again. So, what do we think of John Gullerman's death on the Nile? Oh, John, 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 can I speak to you personally for just a minute? (laughs) How did you make this movie feel like it was two and a half hours long? Because I was lying in bed last night watching this movie and I was like, wow, this was certainly two and a half hours of my life that I'm not going to be getting back because I didn't, I didn't hate the movie. I didn't absolutely hate it. I definitely think there were some elements of it that had its merits. However, there are so many other things that did not have their merits and that were sometimes just ridiculous. For example, why are we climbing the pyramids? And also, the death (laughs) on the Nile, the titular death on the Nile, in case anybody's curious, doesn't happen until an hour into this movie. It's such a slow burn. (laughs) It's it's a ridiculously slow burn that honestly I would have rather just like put my hand on the hot element and be burned right away because <laughs> it, I I was I was not a fan. I I've always had an issue with Agatha Christie like adaptations for many reasons and some of them have to do with my relatively short attention span. But I definitely think this movie could have been better and should have been better than it was. Yeah, I I feel like we know right away who's going to die. We know it's Lynette. She has all the enemies on board when we finally get to the, the ship. But Yeah, when we finally do. Finally get there. When <laughs> We know that she has a problem with everybody. She's the richest, so whoever wants to kill her, who has the motive, wants her money. So we know it's going to be her, but it just takes forever. Finally, she's murdered. And I, I just, I feel like... I didn't care. And in order for me to care about, you know, the death of a victim or, you know, like worry about other characters, I didn't care about anyone in this movie. I didn't really care if they died or if they lived. I was, uh, now I I resent that comment because I did care about (laughs) Angela Lansbury. She was, she and Maggie Smith were, and the actor who played Poirot were like the three salvageable parts of this movie. Uh, And honestly, I would have preferred a movie with just the three of them. Um... And, but also, like, Lynette has such a target on her back, but also we know she's going to die because she's the first prominent character we meet in the first 20 minutes of exposition that didn't need to be there. Yeah. I feel like, okay, because we start off with, like, the the flashbacks of how Lynette, um, I guess, invites her, or no, Jacqueline invites her friend Lynette over. Right, I think. Uh, no, the other Lynette's, way Lynette's no. the rich one. Jackie's the one who has okay. Simon as her fiance. Right, right. So Lynette invites Jacqueline over, and Jacqueline's Mia Farrow, and 
Jacqueline is engaged to Simon, and then basically we get to present day, and Simon is now married to Lynette. So, you know, predictable, like, really bad blood there. <laughs> yeah, because he, because Jackie, because Jackie had, because Jackie had invited Simon over to Lynette's to try and get him a job there, and he got a job. It was oh, yeah. <laughs> being Lynette's husband, however briefly. <laughs> so then I feel like we didn't need all of that other stuff, like the dancing scene in Egypt when they're all awkwardly dancing. And then the scenes where, you know, we could have just had one of when uh, Mia Farrow's Jackie pops up and, and, you know, there's the dramatic, like, what are you doing here? We didn't need to have, like, four of those scenes. We know it, she's it stalking kind of them and following them. It was kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, I think the character we needed the least was Lynette's uncle, question mark? Why was yeah. he here? One of my big gripes with Christie adaptations and Agatha Christie's novels in general is that there are too many ding-dang characters. How am I supposed to remember who anybody is? Especially when in every book, aside from Poirot, everybody is a different version of the same character. It's yeah. confusing. It is really like just it's just rehashing the same ideas but in a different location and in my opinion they don't offer anything new to the story quite frankly i think if we'd had like five main characters instead of 12 maybe i lost count which is not a good sign (laughs) (laughs) yeah because you got yeah you have like angela lansbury but then angela lansbury has a daughter who i don't know if you recognized her but um, that's Olivia Hussey. She was Juliet in, like, the famous Romeo and Juliet Oh, wait, no, um, I movie. thought I recognized that, like, mystified look in her eye that's sort of wild. Yes. <laughs> but I was like, where have I seen her before? I don't know. Okay, she's, cause that's the, that's the Romeo and Juliet adaptation with the guy that looks weirdly like Zac, Zac Efron, Efron. Right? <laughs> Yes, everyone thinks that. <laughs> Everybody thinks that. Whatever province, whatever country true. you live in. <laughs> Everyone in high school believes that that is Zac Efron's, like, grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's true. They look way too similar for them not to be somehow related. He even has, like, the the 2000s hair. (laughs) He even has the Troy Bolton hair. Like, how am I supposed to ignore that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so she, I mean, I kind of cared about her. She was fine. But, like, again, not many scenes. Then we have Maggie Smith's character, um, Ms. Bowers, and she cares for Betty Davis's character, um, who is like a thief, a jewelry thief. Why was Betty Davis here? I Betty don't know. Davis, you didn't need to be in this movie. Betty Davis, what are you doing here? You have better things to do with your time. She Go had Betty like Davis somewhere else. Like three scenes, and it was like, why, why do we need you? <laughs> why we could have just had Bowers here. Bowers was a great addition. I loved Maggie Smith. She did the best she could with the material she had, and she was wonderful. And honestly, I think the stand-in for the audience in this movie, because the whole time she was just like, what the heck is going on? And I related to that. Yeah. And then you have David Niven's um, character, the colonel who works with Hercule Poirot. I like that he never gets questioned or anything. Oh. He just works with him. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> what was the point of him? He's just like, well, he's with Poirot. He must be trustworthy. Well, no, nope, that doesn't exactly rule that out. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna interrogate and monologue to everybody individually, Poirot, please monologue at 
your friend instead of just like having him stand awkwardly off to the side while you monologue at literally everybody else yeah. on this boat. <laughs> like he's the character where like in those movies where they think, okay, we need someone that will be like the audience. So everyone understands everything through this character's point of view because he will tell this character everything. And it's like, we don't need that character. You can just show us. <laughs> but also I think they needed somebody who, how do I put this? I think they needed somebody who would translate Poirot's thoughts. Not French, Poirot. (laughs) Because he has a very particular way of thinking. And I especially appreciated the moments where Poirot would be, like, going off in French and he'd be like, please speak in a language that everybody can understand because there are no subtitles in 1978. And then we have the maid, um, who I guess... she had to have a reason to be there, but why was she here? She, her only purpose was to discover the body. That was her whole purpose, and it could have been anybody, literally anybody else. Like, I think it would have been yeah. much more compelling if Simon was the one who discovered the body. I think that would have thrown the scent off of him a lot more, because spoilers, it was Simon. But how could he have discovered the body if he was shot? In the leg, he could still clearly move around. <laughs> I mean, I guess the maid was there because I she was being blackmailed, and then she wanted to get married, and I guess it was another way for us to not like Lynette, because Lynette wasn't letting Louise... Unnecessary subplot. There are so many people who don't like Lynette on this boat. I don't like Lynette, and I'm not even on the boat. (laughs) Which I get is the point, but there are many other. There are so many other characters who don't like Lynette. There's not a point for the maid to be there, except to show that she's rich and she needs a maid apparently, and that she won't let her maid get married because of some fishy guy. Yeah, like what does she care? Just because she won't be in service anymore because of those days. If you got married, you lost your job. (laughs) It's like the 30s or 40s or whatever. It's easy enough to hire another maid. Just hire another maid. You have the money. You are climbing the pyramids in Egypt and riding around the desert on horseback. You can hire a maid. And then we have, um, I guess, Lynette's lawyer. Why? Why? Why was he here? I just found that distracting. And because I also, I I would get mixed up with him and the doctor. Now, the doctor, the doctor character was necessary. Thank God there was a medical professional on this boat. But the the lawyer was not necessary. Like, he could have shown up in, like, one scene yeah. at the hotel and not been on the boat, and it would have been fine. I'm, I would have just loved to have seen the script and just take a red pen to it. Because I realize we want to, I realize we want to include as many, like, Christie details in an adaptation, especially when it is the first adaptation of a story. However... I don't think it's necessary for us to have as many details as we can possibly stuff into a movie because then it just feels very, 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 very overcrowded and just not good. No, because we don't get to know any of the characters very well. And they're all mixed in here and you don't really care or root for any of them. So it's kind of like, oh, well, I guess that person's dying next because they want you to get thrown off and think like oh I wonder who did it but it's like if we just had like 
five or six core people. We don't need like fifteen. Nope. And I get that. I, get I totally that you agree. Want to stack the cast and make it as like big of a blockbuster as you can, but if you make a bad movie, you can't stack. There's nothing stacking the cast can save you from. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who was the guy that? Um, liked Olivia Hussey, like the one that was Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Who was the guy with her? Like, what? What was the point of him? Yeah, I don't. He was the guy. Who was he? He was. <laughs> who, who was this random man that she got engaged to after know. one boat ride? Who? <laughs> like who they're literally was walking he? together, and then they're like out at the ruins. He was reading Das Kapital <laughs> at like the club. Because apparently that's what he does. That's his distinguishing trait. Is that he reads vaguely communist literature in a swanky ballroom in Egypt, I guess? Isn't it just so timely that they're all in the same ballroom together? And then they all get on the same oh, boat? it's almost like it was yeah. scripted. <laughs> and then they all awkwardly dance together. Poirot is dancing with... With uh, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> is he, or was that the colonel? No, that was, that it was the crazy. colonel character. Er, no, that was the colonel. I, I don't remember who I he remember, was dancing. I remember her dancing and just, like, going around in, like, absolutely the most dramatic way she yeah. could. A- again, Angela Lansbury, the Poirot, and Maggie Smith were the only salvageable parts of this movie. Yeah. And I wish Maggie Smith actually had more of a role... Yes. Oh, well. Should we move on? <laughs> I, I, I think... <laughs> I don't know if there's much moving on from what we thought about this movie. 20-minute Clearly, we have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, what did you think of Peter Eustonov? This was his first role as Poirot, and he did six versions of it, apparently. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Albert Finney was supposed to be in this movie as Poirot because he did Murder on on the Orient Express a couple years before, but he said no because he didn't want to go to Egypt. (laughs) So this (laughs) guy was picked up. Well, I mean, Egypt is... Egypt's hot, and it's... It's never exactly been peaceful in Egypt. It hasn't been peaceful in Egypt since Alexander the Great ruled through, and even then, that's (laughs) debatable. So... I mean, the one thing I liked about this movie, but then it, it... they stopped doing it, was, I mean, it's a beautiful filming location. At the beginning, they had really nice cinematography moments, and even sometimes on the boat, but then it just kind of stopped happening. <laughs> but it looked yeah, so like, beautiful. There was, there was, okay, do you remember, and I'm sure you do, the, the morning the body is discovered, there is this yeah. very long establishing shot of the boat and you can just vaguely see somebody coming like down the stairs and going into Lynette's room and we find out later it's the maid because we hear the scream but I was like why are we looking at this from such a distance away why are we doing an establishing shot that is feels like it is 10 minutes long why is it taking her 10 minutes to walk in and see her boss's body I don't understand did you also notice that there was, like, a scream from her, but then there was a delay of her leaving? Yes, yeah. It's like it's like she screamed, but then she was like, wait, did I scream over the right thing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many issues with this movie, I don't even know where to start. 
But okay. I think we started in the right place and we just sort of bopped all over the place. But yeah, no, I think the 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 Poirot back on track. Let's circle back. Um, the Poirot, I was excellent. As I've said now, this is my third time saying it. The Poirot was one of the only salvageable parts of this movie. I thought he did a really excellent job. Is he actually French, Belgian? Um, you mean in real life, the actor? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from London, so no. Oh well, well he did an excellent accent. I mean, I'm not a I'm not an authority by any means, but I think his accent was excellent, and I liked that he was always like a little bit funny. I think that Poirot has the capability to be funny, and I hate when people don't make him funny. Yeah. Specifically, adding Kenneth Branagh, make Poirot <sighs> funny, dang it. Um, and and I liked all of. I will tell you what didn't get old. All of the. The, the jokes that the mistook Poirot as somebody who was, like, French or from Paris, and he kept having to be, like, Belgian! I am Belgian! The capital of Belgium is Brussels. Yeah. Because Belgium is such a small country. <laughs> it made me laugh a lot every time. I was like, this is funny. And even when Angela Lansbury kept calling him Mr. Porridge. <laughs> yes, that was also very good. I'm, like, more used to, because I grew up watching some of the masterpiece Poirot's which is like PBS and that was like played by David Suchet and I like those better because they're like 45 minutes long I mean if you I've never watched the the versions of because I think they do Death on the Nile in that show too but like with the older episodes um they're like four or five characters tops and it's just short and quick and then it is done and it's not this confusing, like, oh my gosh, maybe there's, like, a little piece of paper in some, I don't know, or, like, they find, like, it's just direct clues, and he's kind of OCD, and he has issues, and he likes to brush his mustache, and he's funny, um, and this guy, he didn't really have, like, the weird awkwardness, whereas, like, the David Suchet character is has, definitely has some, like, social anxiety, but this guy, he brought some funniness to him, but he also had a like a normal relationship with the people on board he wasn't awkward mm-hmm. and I liked that he had a very <clears throat> I liked that he had in in his performance a sort of understated confidence except at the very end when he was like I figured it out everybody listened to me specifically um <laughs> but I thought for sure that um at the beginning of the movie, when when Lynette's driving up in the car in through like the English countryside, I thought for sure with how people were like looking and staring at the car and like getting distracted from their business, I thought for sure they were all like, "Oh, dang, Poirot's in town! What's happening? What's going on?" And I was so disappointed when we didn't meet him until again twenty minutes into the movie. I was like, "Where's Poirot? He is who I'm here for." And I wasn't disappointed by him. I thought he did a really really great job, though. I mean, we chatted about this earlier, but I want it on the record. There is the funniest scene in this movie is when we see everybody asleep the night that the murder happens. Yeah. And Poirot wears not only a hairnet, but he wears a hairnet that has a strange, like, mustache net attachment to it. <laughs> And I just want to know why the costume designer made this choice specifically. I would love to know if they had any sort of historical reference or backing for this, or if they just thought it would be a silly idea. Because it 
threw me off so much. I had to stop the movie and look at it and be like, what is happening here? And then laugh at it for far too long. It was pretty funny because Poirot had been secretly drugged over dinner so he wouldn't hear the gunshot during the night. and yeah. um, Or the many gunshots, as we soon find out. But, um, <laughs> but like, I just thought that was really clever. And I wanted more of that. Like... Um, in the PBS show, Poirot is very, like, anal about what shoes he wears and, like, the shiny shoes, and we didn't really see that with this guy. So I would have loved to see more funny quirks from Poirot. Do you think that, like, because we keep talking about the beginning, but I feel like we could have just started with Poirot having a vacation in Egypt and not have seen the whole, like, flashback of of um, Mia Farrow, you know, losing her guy to her friend. I feel like that could have just been told to us. Did we need to see it? I don't know. We, Did we need to see them climbing up seen, the pyramid? <laughs> you know you know how we do those, like, flashback moments where it's like, you could possibly be the killer during Poirot's 20-minute monologues? Um, yeah. I know I keep extending the time because that's how long they felt. Um but, like, we could have easily had the background on why uh, Lynette and Simon and how they met. We could have easily had all of that background. And I would have just loved to see Poirot in vacation mode. I think that would have been really funny. And I think that would have set a much better tone for this movie in general. And I liked... I, I, I think this is definitely the most... This is definitely the best Poirot mustache I have seen. Granted, the only basis I have for Poirot mustaches are, like, a vague sort of cultural knowledge of the Poirot TV show and, of course, the massive eagle that is on uh, Kenneth Branagh's ridiculous. face. It's it so is ridiculous. It's so big. Ridiculous. I remember seeing it. <laughs> I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out back in, like, whatever year that was, 2017, 2018. And I yes. was just like, I cannot sit through this just, like, for many reasons. But the main one was the mustache. And if any of you are wondering, if we're going to mention, yes, they are remaking it, or they have remade it, I don't know, back in, like, 2018. It's, it's been in never the come for out. a long time. And they're going to have that ridiculous mustache again. And it's like, it could have been a good movie. I'm already predicting it's probably a good movie, but what's gonna ruin it for me is the mustache. <laughs> not, not the fact that it's been pushed back so many times at this point. Not the fact that one of the reasons it's been pushed back is because Army Hammer has Army a, Hammer a, a, and his <laughs> Army cannibalism. Hammer has many allegations, many his allegations cannibalism. against him, and and they, <laughs> you know, cannibalism rape um and you know that they decided they decided he wasn't going to be reshot out of the movie um but what's really gonna do it in it's gonna be kenneth Branagh's mustache and his ridiculous Poirot accent anyway he's um, also like one last thing he's also not funny as Poirot, and kenneth Branagh can be funny i mean he's funny in the chambers of secrets like he's funny yes. in that but yes. they don't let him be funny as Poirot. He he's like a main like producer or director behind these movies or something like that. And like 
he doesn't let his Poirot be funny. He wants to take it so seriously. I don't think he understands that Poirot is meant to be a slightly funny character and that he's supposed to be like, if he, if you're a heart of a story, you need to have some sort of humor about you instead of being like, I am the most serious actor on this set. Like, no, get off your high horse and calm down. <laughs> if um, you're going to wear that mustache, you better be funny. You gotta be funny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but the, I, one of the things that was so curious to me was how, you know, again, at the end of the movie, they do the whole explanation of how exactly the murder happened. And what I always ask myself about with movies like this, who are, that are very, like, whodunit, tropey, is the idea of what if we saw who did it do the thing, like, initially, and so then we spend the entire movie seeing how they piece it together, but also how the person that did it throws them off the set. So we as the audience see everything and are yelling at the protagonist or the detective or whatever when they can't figure it out. I think that's so interesting. And I think that would have been a much better choice than, again, tacking it all on at the very end in Poirot's 11th monologue in this movie. <laughs> I know, it would have been so much better. And even, like, you know when he was um, trying to, I guess, weed through who the suspect was? And we were seeing, like, imaginary, I guess, flashbacks of who could have killed Lynette. I was like, okay, I'm sick of this now. Like, I didn't need to see how it happened. I didn't think that was necessary. Or, Or even if we saw more moments between Simon and Jackie specifically like when they had a private conversation like I would have loved to just like even have seen like a window into that not knowing what they were talking about but just like seeing a seeing some seeing somebody see them I think would have been a better sort of visual clue that something isn't right with them because I managed to guess it and I'm very proud of myself for that but I think it's so it's so obvious in how it's not shown that I think if it had been shown a little bit, it's a golden rule of movies, show, don't tell. If you had shown us a little bit more of Simon and Jackie's relationship beyond in the beginning context and them, like, arguing, I think it would have made a, for a much more compelling case of people being like, I figured it out with Paro, as opposed to, what the heck does he mean it was Simon? Yes, I totally agree, because when Mia Farrow is, or Jackie is, popping up on their honeymoon, I kept thinking, why is this guy, like, letting her control his honeymoon why is she why does she even know that they're there first of all why is she able to always finding them find the hotel room yeah and where they're going it's like okay well obviously she has an in obviously he's telling her where they're going which is yeah how is she managing to track how is she managing to track them exactly to where they're going how did she know they were going to be at the very top of one of the pyramids on this exact day yeah, I know. It just seemed like more, like he should have been more angry or something because he was always like, Lynette always left, okay? She'd always be like, oh, oh my God, she's back. I hate her. And then she would just leave. And then he like, would be alone. what are you doing here? Yeah, like, Jackie. oh my gosh, stop. Like, get away from us. No, like, ooh. Stop. No, please go. Oh, no, and so even <laughs> And even on the night of, like, the whole disaster, Lynette literally leaves because she's... I don't even know. Why would she leave without him? And he's like, oh, I'll I'll come to bed later, honey. And it's like, why would you leave him alone with your 
old with best friend, now enemy. Wait, why would you leave her with Jackie? Uh, leave him with Jackie, and it just, and I just was like, and, and his threatening command to her to, to, to get her to stop, go to bed. She's yeah. not five. I know. She's still on the same boat as you on your honeymoon. Like, really fun honeymoon. <laughs> there's a there's a bigger problem here, and if you were really still mad at her, you would throw her overboard. That should have been the death on the Nile. Yeah. That would have made things more interesting. I thought it, I did, I don't know, I, I'm trying to think of because how. Because then there wouldn't, then there wouldn't be a body just hanging mm. out on the boat. I realize it's only like 24 hours, but do you realize, like, bodies decompose fairly quickly, especially in very hot places, like I'm presuming oh, yeah. Egypt is. Yeah, that's true, I didn't think of that. <laughs> nice, nice honeymoon. Especially with multiple people, multiple bodies on this boat. There are four bodies on this boat by the end of the movie. That yeah. boat must have reached to high heaven. Ugh, yeah. God, I know it's so gross to think, and no air conditioning. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everybody who is now thinking about this. I'm so sorry, but I had to bring up the obvious. <laughs> it is. I don't know. I feel like it could have been... I think it could have been more interesting, and I know this wouldn't have worked, but I think it would have been more interesting if Jackie had died, if, like, if Lynette had killed her or something. I think that would have been really interesting, but that did not happen. (laughs) But but instead, we get a murder-suicide, because apparently that makes narrative sense. That makes sense in terms of justice for the fact that there are still two people who were murdered on this boat. Yeah. So, getting back a bit, there was, like, that whole elaborate scene when Lynette is still alive and they're walking um, by the ruins in Egypt and they're all in different sections. And oh, yes, that boulder gets... Scene. This boulder, like, a ruin, literally falls and almost hits her her and Simon. So, so many questions here. How would that, let's say, how would Mia Farrow and Simon's plan had worked if she had died right there? I, I don't know. I mean, but it would have been like, awfully convenient. I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I guess it would have worked. What am I saying? Yeah, I, I get, so the, who pushed it then? I was so confused by that scene. I think, I don't, I don't know. I think it might have been, A I don't fluke? know. A fluke, maybe? But also, like, like one of the guys says, the thing's been around for 5,000 years and it chooses that precise moment to fall. Can't have been a fluke. Um, Was it the lawyer? But, like, <laughs> it would have been awfully, con- it would have been awfully convenient if, if, oh. if Lynette had died there. But I think it's really telling that, like, Simon still saved her. He still, like, got them out of the way. So it's not that he was completely uncaring towards Lynette. It's not like he didn't care about her in some way. Or maybe that was just him wanting to make sure that, like, he and Jackie's plan worked. But the, I don't know, the fact the fact that he still saved Lynette in that moment makes me think that, like, for the briefest of moments, he did care about her. And he did... If not love her, then at least enjoy her company or her money in at least some way. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he was trying to get her scared, I don't know, or fearing for her life. Maybe paranoid, yeah. But, like, the fact that he he could have stepped away and let her be crushed. But the fact that he got her out of the way, 
I don't know. It just... It, it's it, weird. It helped to sell that they were, like, together and married. But when you... Now, when you watch the movie and you... And you know the story, it ha- it takes on a different meaning, I think. And it makes you question the validity of Simon's plan with Jackie. Yeah, I agree. It is. It was an interesting... Again, I don't know if it was necessary, but... I don't yeah. think we needed ten minutes of them just wandering around these ruins, especially with, like, the six different establishing shots of said ruins. Yeah, I'd, I don't know what the choices were. I d- <laughs> Again, it's a classic case of them wanting to include every single detail from Christie's books, and it just not working. It just no. doesn't work. I want to also know how Simon and Jackie met up while he was on his honeymoon. Like, when was their opportunity? I guess when she, when Lynette's, like, hanging out with uh, Betty Davis and, like, getting tea. But, like, when would they have actually met and talked about their plan? Yeah, like, how, when, what was the hashing out process there? Did they, oh, here's a theory for you that I've just thought of right <laughs> now. You're hearing this, this conspiracy board be propped up in live real time, uh, <laughs> at least when we're recording this, what if they had this plan from the very beginning that Simon was going to marry Lynette and that they were going to try to get her money through him marrying Lynette and a fake rivalry right. between them? Because Jackie's the one who brings up Simon and wanting a job there for yeah. him. She's the one who introduces them. She's the one who gets really mad at him because he quote-unquote broke her heart. But clearly they're still in cahoots together and clearly they're still communicating if she knows exactly where they're going to be honeymooning at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally got that. I totally thought it was a plan. I mean, they're psychopaths. I mean, she's friends with this person and then she wants to kill her for her money. And then she'll give up her fiancé to be with him later after their deed is done. It's so fucked up. But I it's... definitely got that, that it was always planned. I was just curious, like, after he, you know, pretended to break it off with Jackie, how did he continue? I want to know, how did he continue seeing her? I don't know. <laughs> He's a man. He was probably like, honey, I'm going out to the yeah. bar this yeah. evening. <laughs> Oh, I will be back late. Don't wait up for me. And he was actually just like schmoozing it up with, Jay- with Jackie. <laughs> yeah. I almost said, I almost said like Jeanette there. I don't know where my brain went. <laughs> um, that would have been the interesting ship here. If this was done in like 2021, I would have loved to see Jackie and Lynette together. I think that would have been powerful. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, like he probably just like said to Jackie, like, I'm going to be out tonight you want to also meet up and we can talk about how well our right. plan is going in a shady Ooh. corner booth, wink wink <laughs> yeah again i think get you bar set up i think more context set up of the simon and jackie relationship and their plan even just like hinted at more would have been better instead of just seeing it in flashback form when poirot's got some cornered yeah i i agree it would have been really cool like I don't know how they could have done it I don't know if Ken Branagh's version will but I feel like he won't but it would be cool uh, yeah I'll I be very know. interested to see Kenneth if Kenneth Branagh's version if it ever comes out I'll be very interested to see <laughs> if they manage to fix a lot of these pacing issues and a lot of these story issues because 
honestly, this one hasn't left me hopeful for this story. <laughs> I don't think they're salvaging this story. I don't think there will be a good version of Death on the Nile, period. I don't know. I don't think so either. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just too messy of a story, and I think it's just got too many characters to try and grapple with. I think if it had been, like, a short story, if we cut down the cast a little bit then that would have been much better. Like, again, and speaking of characters we didn't need, we certainly didn't need to know this boat conductor. Why was he no. here? Was was he just an effort to get one person of color in this movie? Was he just an effort to have some sort of regional representation beyond the locations? I don't know, but we didn't need him. And we certainly didn't need his name. It was just another name to add to the roster. Yeah, I, it was so weird, the pacing and the way it was all presented. And then the lagging of the murder. I mean, even in Murder on the Orient Express, like, the guy gets killed at the beginning. There's no agency. There's zero agency to any of these characters. And it feels like, even if this was a play... I think it would be better because then at least we wouldn't have those 20 minutes of exposition at the very beginning. We'd be able to get it still, but we would be on the boat. Our set piece would be the boat. And our set piece is the boat here, but it takes us so long to get to the boat that you forget that this movie's supposed to take place on a boat. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I would be interested to see this as a play actually I think it would be better because how the camera angle was even working throughout this it would have been better as a play because it was filmed that way uh, I think that would have been really interesting but I want to just say quickly the one thing I did like about this movie was that besides I guess the maid well but she was blackmailing I did find the female characters to be pretty strong yeah I can see that like Lynette is Lynette's a female heiress in, like, the 40s, I guess, 30s, 40s, which isn't terribly yeah. common. Yeah, I think it's 1937. Okay, yeah, so, like, not terribly common at that point, and, I mean, Jackie's a nut job, but she's got, she's, she's able to throw together <laughs> this whole plan, so at least there's that, and, like, Bowers, yeah. an extremely capable woman, um, Angela Lansbury's a female Louise. romance novelist. <laughs> And also, again, we talked about this earlier before we started recording, but, like, the fact that Angela Lansbury was on a show called Murder, She Wrote, where she was, like, a crime novelist who also solved crimes, and now she is here in a whodunit where she is playing a novelist. I was like, this is the most absurd crossover I have ever <laughs> witnessed in my entire life, and I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah. I know, that was so funny. And I also thought it was interesting that Lynette kind of had that male quality where she would, you know, the lawyer was pushing her to sign those documents. And she said, well, my dad always said that I should never sign a paper before I read it. And, like, he's really yeah. pushing it until David Niven's character is like, you know, you don't have to sign anything um, until you're comfortable, until you read it yourself. You should always read it. And and it just showed you how, you know, a woman in that situation would usually have just signed it and listened to, like, the male powerful characters. But she actually was like, nope, I'm going to do what my dad told me. And even Louise, this I mean, she was pretty primitive as the maid. She didn't get much, much time in the film because she dies. But, yeah. I mean, she was blackmailing... Um, Jackie and Simon and that was pretty interesting yeah like 
this is the Lynette specifically. This is the kind of strong female character I would have loved to see in uh, in Renee Zellweger's character in Down with Love. That would have been <laughs> that that would have been so much more interesting. Yeah, that's true. Good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if anyone's curious, I was just looking up for the remake, um, Gal Gadot is playing Lynette's character, so she won't be in it long. Uh, well, um, maybe she will if they go the 20 yeah, minutes of exposition route. I guess maybe so. we'll get a solid hour and a half of Gal Gadot. Army Hammer's obviously Simon, um, and Emma uh, McKay is Jackie. I don't know if I know who that person ooh. is. Name Just looking here. Sounds familiar. Emma McKay. She's in Sex Education. Oh, oh, really? She's playing Jackie. That's so interesting. I love her on Sex Education. She's phenomenal on that show, and I'm so glad she got a movie. Though I'm disappointed that it's Kenneth Branagh's Poirot. So, yeah. Uh, and if they follow the same plot, that means she's gonna be dead by the end of the movie too. So that's not a great look. Yeah. And she'll be dead with Army. <laughs> oh, no, she has to roam. Oh, no, she has to be roam. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, I, I mean, I'm, if, for, if anything else, I'm morbidly curious about this movie. Like, I, I, I did regrettably watch Murder on the Orient Express, and I didn't have a great time with it, but... I'm, oh, I I'm, will watch this. I will, <laughs> I will watch, complain about it, but I will watch it. I will watch Death on the Nile if only for the astonishing production value of this movie. Yeah, and Russell Brand is the doctor. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was reading the cast list to uh, Christina earlier. We were chatting earlier, and yeah. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, 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 Russell Brand is still doing stuff? I know, what happened to him? Last thing I heard he I was guess in was, like, What We Do in the Shadows, maybe? And, like, the first movie he's in in a long time isn't even coming out, so... Has, it's been delayed so many times. Maybe, maybe Russell Brand's just... Maybe it's Russell Brand that's bad luck. Maybe. Or maybe I this think whole, it's just Army. Or maybe the whole movie's just cursed. Because <laughs> of Army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so... A, Good whodunit usually has twists. I was hoping there would be... I mean, I guess you could say the ending is a twist. One scene I did not expect, though, I did not expect Angela Lansbury to just get shot right in the middle of that moment. Oh. And obviously, that was like, whoa. That, that kind of freaked me out. Top <laughs> Made ten me take a step back. Top ten saddest deaths in cinema history, honestly. Because, again, she was one of the best parts of that movie, and I was like, you're killing... Angela Lansbury in your movie? Really? Why are you killing Angela Lansbury? <laughs> she's Angela Lansbury. She's a national treasure. I mean, she's also, like, a drunk, and she kind of got killed because she was such a big mouth telling the murderer that she knew who killed his wife. But <laughs> she, like, said that so loud so everyone can hear. Not And, like, Poirot doesn't even take her aside, and he's not even like, you know, maybe we should talk about this, like, away from Simon. Maybe we should come to, like, my room. No, they do it out yeah. in the open. With the door and windows open. They do it out in the open. Private conversations, please? <laughs> it is, it, it definitely kind of freaked me out because Simon was basically telling Jackie 
you know, that, that there was a someone in here that knew who killed um, Lynette. And he said it so loudly. He was like, you know who killed the maid and my wife? Like, really loud. I guess she didn't know who killed Lynette. And then at that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, he's telling Jackie to, like, go and grab a gun or, like, telling somebody. I didn't know it was Jackie at the time. But then I thought back to how, like, right before that scene, Jackie comes to see him and we never really see what they talk about. It switches to, like, a different scene. And I thought, oh, yeah. he's telling her, like, who she has to kill. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that was a good twist. I didn't see that one coming. I had a feeling the maid would die just because she seemed really stressed and because she was blackmailing um, the murderer. Yeah, everything everything in this movie is predictable except except for Angela Lansbury's death. That was the one yeah. twist that I was like, oh, no. The movie got briefly briefly interesting and then quickly took a hard left and turn into no longer interesting. <laughs> Can we just talk about how um, gunshots and then the wounds are shown in these old movies? Oh my god, I did not expect this movie to be so violent! I was like, whoa, this is a movie from the 70s! Calm down! But like, Lynette's gunshot is so perfect like there's no blood splatter her face still looks fine there's just a little hole in the side of her head it's like there's no there's wound. just a hole in her skull just a hole in her skull like half of her like head is not taken off it's all fine it's, but then angela lansbury is like whoa like all this tomato paste yeah, is like everywhere if, <laughs> if if this was as somebody who's watched a lot of gray's anatomy Allow me to offer my non-professional opinion. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and my non-professional opinion is that if the gun had been shot that much point blank at her face, with that much of a wound already on her face, like, half of her face would be, like, at least Gone. covered in blood. If not, like, completely distorted, because, like, the gunshot, like, probably would have shattered the bones in her face, at least. Like that, oh, yeah. Because uh, clearly, if it left that, left that big of a wound, it clearly there was a lot of kick happening there. Like, I just don't understand how... <laughs> like, I understand that we wanted it to look, like, aesthetic and cool and, like, very much like, oh, my God, she, like, they, they really clearly wanted to telegraph that she was dead. But they didn't need to show... A, they didn't need to show the wound that many times. And B, no. I don't... I, I It was just so laughably unrealistic if they if you're gonna yeah. show it that many times make it realistic mess up Lynette's face yeah she wouldn't even have had an eyeball I mean he was he had the gun right up to her temple it was, yeah like there would have been there wouldn't have been an eye there it would you should have just like should have just shot her through the eye that might have been more effective honestly <laughs> I know, I always have problems with that. Like, I'm not one for gore, so I'm thankful, but, like, I would like it to be a bit more realistic. Yeah, it just, it made, it made you fall out of the illusion of the movie. It really takes you out of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, should we move to the fun facts, or do you have anything left you want to say about this? Oh, God, I'm probably going to have more and more thoughts as we go through the fun facts, but please, let's just move on. Yes. Okay, so well, we, we can talk about the, the final ending later. 
But um, basically, it was so hot um, during filming that they have to, had to stop every day at noon for around two hours. <laughs> yes. And they had to start filming at 4 a.m. in order to, like, beat the heat. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because... And then Betty Davis says... Quote, in the older days, they'd have built the Nile for you. Nowadays, films have become travelogues and actors stuntmen. I mean, like, aren't you happy you're going to Egypt, lady? Why are you even in this movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you're there such was a no purpose of you. If you're such a professional, well-rounded, well-respected actress, take the trip to Egypt, at least. Pretend like you're having a good time. My God. Yeah, I know. And, like, it wouldn't have worked if it was a set, like... I've seen those cheesy movies. They're bad when you know it's a Hollywood set. It's a, you know it's a Hollywood set. It wouldn't have worked. So I'm, at least I praise this movie for doing that. <laughs> yeah, the filming on location, like I love that for them. And I looked up the Kenneth Branagh, I, I apologize that we keep talking so much about the Kenneth Branagh one, but <laughs> it, we, we have to because it's coming out relatively soon, we think. Uh, who yeah. knows? Um, Maybe February. I, I, I looked at the, at the Kenneth Branagh one and it said that they filmed... They filmed a majority of it in London, but they did also film some of it on set in Morocco, which I understand why they probably couldn't film in Egypt. It's not exactly a fun time politically over there, from what I'm understanding, and they probably wouldn't have gotten the permission to film on the Nile anyway. Uh, but I think, and like, I'm sure Morocco's close enough, but at least they like still filmed on location a little bit. Probably not a lot, but at least a yeah. little bit. I know, kudos to them for doing that. And it was actually, the filming was seven weeks in late 1977. Okay. Um, yeah, in mostly Cairo. Yeah, there's not any casting what-ifs, sadly, just like Albert Finney was supposed to be Hercule Poirot. Apparently, there were no telephones while on location. I don't know how they communicated. So they were just stranded in Egypt? It could have been a cool murder. <laughs> cast A murder movie? And then a murder occurs. Now that sounds like an Agatha Christie book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't we do like a behind the scenes movie of a murder movie being filmed and then somebody dies. There's a great. See, I'm full go. of great ideas. We're full of great ideas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever Hire us. in Hollywood producer listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie actually got nominated for one Oscar and it won. Oh, what was uh, it? It won for Best Costume. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness it was a secondary <laughs> technical award and not something like the acting, because I would have had questions. I was like, what other dumpster fires of movies were nominated during that year? That mur the Death on the Nile got nominated for an acting Oscar. Oh, my God. It also got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Foreign Film. I guess this is a foreign film. <laughs> What? Well, I don't um, think how would so. It, I mean, I guess if it was... How... Maybe I, maybe it had something to do at the time with, like, how where a majority of the film was was filmed. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because if, if it was filmed, like, for a majority of the time in and around the Cairo area, then maybe it would have qualified as, as that. Or maybe it would have qualified as, like, a UK release. Because there were so many, like, UK people involved with it. I don't know. So the movie made um, $14.6 million, and its budget was $8 million. So it made 
made half of, or like over half of it back. Okay, this is not bad. Yeah. I don't know what that would be, but that's pretty good <laughs> in, in yeah, 1978. I'll, in in $1978, that's okay. <laughs> so should we talk quickly about the ending? I, I think it's so funny when um, in these movies, they make like all the suspects sit around and then the one person, like the detective, they even do this in Knives Out. Where they're like, okay, and this is how it goes. And they all just sit there and listen. Like, they don't even protest or they're not even like, I'm getting out of here. You have no proof. They just sit there and then they, they just admit it. <laughs> the, only, the only protesting is from the person that's being accused. But at least in Knives Out, it was engaging. Yeah. It was interesting. And they kept, like, having to, like, double back as new information was revealed. And it was, it, it was, it was done well. In, in Knives Out. Whodunits when done well are very, very yes. compelling. And this was not done well. No, and and I like when Daniel Craig is going on about the donut. He can talk about a donut and it's more interesting. The donut <laughs> hole inside of a donut <laughs> hole. Yeah, it's, it's, this was not engaging. I will admit I fast forwarded at a couple parts. So basically Poirot says that Simon and Jackie were in in on it all along. It was this plan. Simon, or Jackie, basically pretends to shoot Simon in the leg, but I don't know where she aims at. She doesn't shoot him. Then she gets taken away to her room. Simon is alone. He pretends to be shot, but he's not. He has his, his wife's nail polish, which somehow makes all that blood... And there's still a Was lot it a left Costco in the bottle. Size jar of nail polish? I don't know no. how. <laughs> it's a tiny bottle. Then he goes back to his wife's room. He shoots her right up to the temple, but there's like no mark. And then I guess nobody hears that. And then he leaves. And then he shoots himself in the leg and throws the gun in the water. <laughs> yeah. How do you shoot yourself? That's that must be so painful in the leg. Like I mean, he ow. did. He 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 did a great job of the agony. The, the the like it looked like it hurt. Oh god. <laughs> but yeah, like I think that it's like it's such a tiny gun. How are you supposed to shoot that? And second of all. Again, why did you shoot yourself? I understand we're going for authenticity here, but at least shoot a blank. And not an actual, like, as we've learned, don't shoot a live round ever. Especially, like, just shoot a blank into yourself, my dude. Come on. So there, here's the big question now. Were those guns in this movie, were they blank? <laughs> Let's hope oh, so. Oh, God. They need to just start Let's doing that always so. now. Fake guns. I've got to. I'm always going to think about that now. Whenever I see, whenever I see any sort of weapon in the movie, I'm yes. going to be like, oh. Me too. It's so bad. It's performance. It's acting. It's not that serious in the long run. People should not die for being part of a movie. No. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, anyway. <laughs> you, well, everyone will always know when this was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> We've officially dated this episode. You're welcome. 
And like people, this twenty years later, what are they talking about? No, um, <laughs> hopefully by then, there that no accidents like that will happen again. Anyway, should we move to the final judgment? <laughs> I feel like we already made our final judgment. <laughs> no, yes, okay. let's do it. <laughs> okay, did Death on the Nile move you or not? <laughs> Oh, it moved me definitely, but not the way I would have liked to. Um, I would have, I, I felt, I, I often joke about how I had to read a book called As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner in my second year of my undergraduate degree. And I often say that as I read that book, I felt like I was laying there dying. And this <laughs> Death on the Nile from 1978 made me feel like I was dead on the Nile because this movie was dead on the Nile. It was, it was, it had its, it had its good moments, but they were so far and few in between the moments that needed a lot more work or just needed to not be there that it, in my opinion, marred the rest of the experience and just... <sighs> It could have been a lot better than it was, and it's disappointing that it wasn't. I totally agree. This movie did not move me. I actually thought it would have been better than it was because of the cast. But then once I found out that the cast I actually liked were barely in it, I was disappointed, to say the least. Exactly. I a just... cast <laughs> does not save you. A stacked cast does not save you from a bad movie. No. And I think... If it wasn't for that slow burn, well, throughout the whole movie, but the like the literal slow burn at the beginning, it could have been more interesting if we actually got to know Poirot. Um, I really wanted to see him on vacation because he is the main character. I would have rather have seen him and less of Jackie because she scared me. <laughs> and yeah, I would absolutely. have liked to see that, like, Poirot at the ruins instead of just all the gang. <laughs> just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just I do not blame I, anyone for again, wanting to watch this movie, but I just it's not definitely a classic to me. Just be ready to take a red pen to this script. Have the script <laughs> yeah. in your hand and just take a red pen to it because it needed it. I'm hoping that the remake will be a bit better with developing the characters more. Um I think but, it's going to be like I think it's going to be like at least five minutes shorter, so maybe they've cut some <laughs> exposition out of it. Oh, God. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I I will not be reading this book. <laughs> I have no more time in my life to be wasted on this, except for the nope. remake. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming back for Who Done It Montana. <laughs> I thought this yes. movie would have been way better. <laughs> Oh, didn't we all? We all had such high expectations, but you know what? Sometimes you need to just sometimes you need to watch a bad movie to appreciate the good movies. I'm yes. about to go watch Crimson Peak for the first time and I'm hoping to have a great time. Oh. I've never watched that. You have to let me know. I, I will let you know. It's very, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. Tom Hiddleston's in it. How bad can it be? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode and we didn't, like, destroy your dream of this movie. If someone loves this movie, if this is your favorite movie, I'm not, no shame. That's fine. All good. Just a bit questionable. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I have a lot of questions for you specifically yeah. as a person. <laughs> 
And um, if you enjoyed listening to this, don't forget to click the subscribe button. And if you have any film or whodunit themed films that you'd like us to do, you can email me at emmareviewsmovies at gmail.com. We will be continuing it till after Halloween because I was too busy this month and all of a sudden the month went away. So enjoy November <laughs> where we'll pretend Halloween is still happening. <laughs> Thank you for listening.